Trailer Dynamics and Krone Collaboration, the path of transportation companies towards strong decarbonization. Dear audience, my name is Ludmila Der. I'm the Managing Director of Elite Experts Conferences and I would like to welcome you to the next episode of the Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Whether at live events or in the digital world, we bring together cool promising tech startups with exciting innovative global players and generate a platform where the world of sustainable technology meets. Get to know the different companies, but also the inspiring leader personalities behind these brand names. Our motto is towards a better and cleaner future through knowledge transfer and technology. Our guests today are Abdullah Yaba, Michael Nimch and Dr. Stefan Benevis. Abdullah is co-founder and head of development at Trailer Dynamics. Abdullah, you have your background in physics and in 2018, you founded Trailer Dynamics with nine other people, 10 founders. Wow, that is a huge challenge in itself. But we will get to that in our discussion. Our second guest is Michael Nimch, who is co-founder and managing director at Trailer Dynamics. Michael, your background is not in technology, but in economics which means that at Trader Dynamics, you are dealing with numbers that do not have physical units next to them, but currency. And our third guest is Dr. Stefan Binevis, who is member of the management board at Bernhard Krone Holding. Stefan, like Michael, you come from the field of economics, in which you also did your PhD. You were in management at several companies directly before Krone. It was almost nine years at Jung Heinrich, which is known actually for intralogistics. And now you are at your third year at Krone, that is one of the leading trailer manufacturers worldwide. And now let's talk about what Trailer Dynamics stands for, what your short and long-term vision is, what it all has to do with sustainability and electrification, and how Krone is involved in the whole concept. Of course, we will also talk about how exciting startup life can be and certainly is, how best to enter into collaborations how to grow with your business and its challenges, and we will learn a thing or two about self-development. Here's to a new, entertaining and inspiring journey. Let's start. Abdullah, let's start with you telling us the story of the 10 founders. How did it all start? Ludmilla, uh, the 10 founders, that is a very interesting question. Actually, it was a gradual process. So, of course, uh, you can imagine that in the beginning, I, I have to remember when we actually started with this project that was, uh, I think, 2013, 2014. We were able to, let's say, foresight that uh, directive is to improve efficiency is somehow coming. We just thought that, you know what, uh, we have kind of uh, very limited resources so the best way actually to to start such a kind of process is uh, to go and, and and start sourcing in at your friends right and uh, what we knew in the in the beginning is actually that beside of let's say a fancy idea we need also some kind of expertise so i was particularly looking for an electric engineer and a mechanical engineer and from from there, we, we actually had our, our first successes. Okay. And when we came to the next step, actually, and, and started to develop the e-trailer, we knew that we have to actually improve and uh, expand the expertise. 
And that is where actually these 10 founders came. When we started the company, the last and most important founder was actually Michael Nimish, who was our first investor. Thank you for sharing this story. And Michael, now let's let's dig in a bit deeper in that. So wasn't it chaotic to handle 10 opinions all the time and also like having long discussions for every decision? So how did you solve that in the end? Hello, Ludmila. Also a warm welcome from my side. It is correct. The decision-making process, especially in an evolutionary startup phase as Threadynamics was, will be difficult if too many parties would be involved. In the past, I have made my experience in that regard. Here, in that particular case with Threadynamics, the group around my founding partner, Abdullah, which were 10 individuals, decided very early to grant Abdullah the single right to speak and vote for the entire group. Therefore, the issue was solved very elegantly an important prerequisite for my investment as a founder of Trail Dynamics. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. And now, Stefan, how did you hear about Trail Dynamics for the very first time? So how was it? Good morning, Ludmilla. From a corporate perspective, it was a typical way, to be honest. Uh, so it was around mid mid to 20, I think. Uh, an M&A boutique came to us, sent, uh, sent us an email. Uh, again, 10 slides, whatever, there is an idea and how do you think about it? They also informed me personally that, that they already have been going to, to Krone two or three years ago um, at that uh, time. And so I took a look at, uh, at the slides and thought, not bad, great idea. Uh, first of all, I have to see these people. Uh, so we met quite, quite soon after, after the first contact. So I met Abdullah and Michael in person. Remember, it was already Corona time. And so it, was, it wasn't that easy at that moment. Uh, so I think we met around August, September. I don't, I don't remember exactly. And then we had two pitches internally, one on corporate level at Krone Holding and one on the uh, Krone Commercial Vehicle level. And then I think entered our first step being shareholder already in December. So between first contact and uh, signing, I would uh, estimate four months. Uh, and again, in Corona times, uh, which is, uh, I think, uh, already also a good start for the, for the relationship. It's actually super interesting because, you know, a lot of people get a lot of this kind of digital pitches from startups and usually they reject mostly. No? So, but do you barely get such pitches or was it like the super impressive idea that somehow they could already convince you digitally to yeah, at least make a first meeting? So how was it actually behind the scenes? No, it was, to be honest, we get a lot of them um, um, and we have a small team and most of the topics don't go through this panel, I would say. But this was, uh, uh, first of all, uh, uh, directly uh, in my uh, inbox. Uh, I, I just talked with one of my uh, st uh, strategy colleagues and he said, no, it's a good idea. And I also felt it's different. Um, uh, it's, so it, it was different enough to, 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 to make us curious, I would say. And, 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 and then we said, get them here, probably two weeks later, we, we had them on the table. And then I think also a process of discussion started. And I think we, we probably elaborate a little bit more on it later. I do think still Abdullah and I have a different perspective. What's the main approach behind it? But it's great because there is a vision and, and, uh, and, and the, the clear common vision is that there are so many chances behind the, the, the innovation Michael and Abdullah have in their hands. So, uh, no, it, it, make, it made us curious. 
And there is one out of, I would say, 25 approaches with, which makes you curious and one out of 50, uh, which makes it then valuable enough to go next steps. And this is, again, one out of 50, I would say. Mm -hmm. That's actually amazing because we have also to learn from the guys like how to write those kind of amazing, impressive cold mails that win the, the hearts and minds, let's say. But we will come to that in the discussion. But first, Abdullah, how did the story go from there? So what should Trailer Dynamics stand for in the first place? So what is your vision for the short term future, not the long term? Very good, uh, actually, because you're asking three questions in one question, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So after we founded, we actually worked on refining and developing the concepts. And, and we brought more further experience and expertise uh, in form of employees and worked on sourcing the right partners and, and, and a continuation of the strategic development, right? In January 2020, actually, we finally had Achim Kamka, Professor Achim Kamka, as uh, the, the founder of Street Scooter, as one of our shareholders. I think in twenty in early twenty twenty one, finally we got also uh, Kona on our side. Along the way, we also gained many many more strategic uh, partners like Continental, Bosch, Danfoss, CATL, for example, as a battery supplier. So just trying to remember this, the second part of the question was actually what is what is Trail Dynamics standing for, right? And I think mm -hmm. we can say it in in a very short sentence: we are. We are standing for the transformation of the uh, logistic, of the road logistic, reducing emissions, getting it uh, greener, that is, that is transforming transportation towards sustainability. And I think you asked for the short term, right? Short term, yes. Short term future. Uh, despite that, I would say the long term is actually to go to a future of zero emissions in transportation. But our short term vision or, or goal, let's say it that way, would be to to equip the existing diesel fleets with our e-trailer and reduce emissions of already existing fleets. So it is a short-term goal. We don't want to be a kind of uh, bridge technology, but that is something that we can discuss later. Mm -hmm. Actually, now I, I would like to ask a follow-up question on that because you mentioned just with one sentence what is the long-term vision. But now for Michael Let's say, could you please give a little bit more details what the long-term vision of Trailer Dynamics is? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. I mean, it mirrors what Abdullah just said. Let me start from the beginning of, of, of Trailer Dynamics. I mean, as a, as a startup, you do need a kind of a framework going forward for the, for the, for the company as Trailer Dynamics. And this is somehow decided or is, is, is defined in your vision going forward. And Trail Dynamics had a clear vision going forward from the very first beginning. With the e-trail as it stands today, we just began a journey towards further applications with the main target to contribute to significant CO2 reduction with our products in order to decarbonize heavy-duty logistics for long-haul traffic. The focus of our interest is clear, and the vision is also clear. This is advanced technological developments that promote and support the path to green logistics for heavy-duty vehicles. That is the perfect answer. And now, Stefan, when we talk about visions, let's say, what is Krona's vision for the future of mobility and transportation, and how can Trailer Dynamics help you along the way? Frankly speaking, if you take a look at the trailer today, it's a stupid thing. It can't move by itself, so you need, you need something to pull it or to push it. 
But it's uh, since it doesn't, or, or, or if you put it to the extreme, the trailer today can't do anything by himself. So it's it's not really a material handling equipment. It's probably a material storage equipment. Uh, of course, uh, the vision on, of, of trailer dynamics uh, to focus on sust sustainability is one of the key elements also of the Krone family and the Krone company. So how can we help with our trailer to create more sustainable solutions for our customers? But at the same time, I do think of our trailer as a more active equipment. Um, if you are passive, you are commodity, the most commodity you can think of. And if we now create a more proactive trailer, it becomes an equipment. It's not a commodity anymore. So we have sustainability on the one hand, where the impact is uh, will be tremendous, to be honest. And I'm annoyed in all these discussions of, uh, of our industry. Every discussion we have focuses on the truck. So if we talk about more sustainability and decarbonization and CO2 reduction, everything, everybody is talking about trucks. You can, you, can, you can buy books on how to reduce carbon footprint of logistics, and there's not one single word on a trailer. It's only about truck. And I do think that the vision of Krone is, uh, together with Trailer Dynamics, and uh, that's how, how we together uh, can help ourselves, I would say, is to make the trailer a more active material handling equipment. And this helps both of us. But first of all, it will help our customer and through this, our society really to become more uh, sustainable. And it helps me as a manager also to get my equipment to the end where it's really an equipment and not just storage uh, uh, in the end. And that's, that's I think, the core also on, on a joint vision. With technology from Trailer Dynamics, uh, our trailer is a known equipment and we create many, many ideas around this uh, electric axle, about around the battery system and uh, the kingpin idea. Uh, it's not only, not, not everything is focusing on sustain, sustainability on a direct way, but there are many indirect ways how we can improve efficiency in the whole transport logistic chain and therefore indirect impacts uh, uh, again on uh, decarbonization and sustainability. So actually, basically, when I summarize that, you make the trailers smart, let's say, intelligent. That's what you meant by, by making them more active, let's say. No? So It's smart and independent also. Uh, today, yes. we, we, today uh, without being connected to an electric infrastructure or, or to a truck, our trailer is, is, is always dependent uh, on something. And, and with a battery package on it, how, how, how big it may be, in the end, we are more independent and have more functionality in the trailer. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, yeah. And Abdullah, Krona was not the first corporation you entered into. No? You mentioned also some quite big names as well in the previous uh, reply. And what partners were you looking for beforehand? And how did that develop before Krona's story started? Well, that is a, a quite good question, Ludmilla. Well, since we were aware that uh, we had to work on many, many fronts, I, I don't want to say fight on fronts, but, but we had a lot of areas where we had to work on and, and, and actually get this trailer uh, done. We knew that we have to find the right partners, right? Partners who can, who have already existing parts that we can use in, in uh, put in the trailer but unfortunately 
all the partners that we were uh, looking for, also kind of strategic partners like trailer part suppliers, OEMs, were not really able to give us anything that we can actually use to come up with this e-trailer. And, and accordingly, Krone was actually the optimal partner for us because Krone is kind of a um, vertically integrated company that already manufactures its own axles, has a huge uh, customer base, and, and, and is actually in, in, the, in, in the trailer ecosystem one of the most advanced companies yeah, with, with high experience. And, and, you know, we have the electric experience. They are the very uh, highly integrated, vertically integrated company. So actually together a perfect match. Sounds really like a perfect match. So having expertise from all the sides. But actually, Michael, Trailer Dynamics had also experienced very dark hours. You had to lay off all the employees. And then there were only the two of you, you and Abdullah. What happened and how did you get out of it? So why was giving up never an option for you or was it? Yeah, that is correct. In the face of not so good times is uh, somehow a normal development phase of a startup. But giving up was never an option for Abdullah and myself. We were sitting night long. How can we, our idea, how can we, how can Trail Dynamics survive? But we remained always very confident that our product, the e-trailer, will find its way to an investor or finally to the market. To invest in or found a startup is always associated with risk. As a startup investor, you do need risk affinity and the capability to manage that risk. Finally, we met Stefan and the Krone Group as a strategic partner and investor for Trailer Dynamics, which was, of course, an excellent milestone in the development of Trailer Dynamics. And these dark times, as you said, were over. So basically, you met exactly at that time when you had like the most challenging time of your startup currently, let's say? I mean, the challenging times were not just a week or a month. It was nearly more than a year. We were on our own. We, we kept on going. We developed the product. Abdullah especially focused still on developing the product. And parallel to that, we were looking for investors. We were looking for strategic partners. And as a startup, to, to meet a, and finally uh, a partner with a strategic partner is, is the best you can do. I mean, a VC is just providing money, but no, but no knowledge. But Crony here as a strategic partner provides much, much more beyond money. It's, it's the, the capability, it's the quality, it's the team, it's, it's the existing production facilities to help ourselves or our product to industrialize the e-trailer. Mm-hmm. It's amazing strength what, what you need then to really see, okay, do I keep on going? Do I still believe in that? Or is it time, let's say, to let go and yeah, jump off? No? So, but, um, and now, Stefan, so what, what made you put so much trust in this startup? Because, you know, I have to say really like you as a stable family business, isn't that a risk for you to collaborate, let's say, with a startup or it's not? Do I see that completely wrong? And to be honest, I do think you see it completely wrong. Thank you. I like that. <laughs> First of all, uh, no risk, no fun, to be honest. That's amazing. <laughs> and if you take a look at the Krone family history, which is far more than 100 years old, the, the Bernhard Krone holding and the Krone family wouldn't stand where it is today if they would not have taken risks. And, and I mean, it's, it, there's still the expression uh, entrepreneurial risk and there is risk behind it. And so first of all, uh, yes, we are a, a big stable company in the end, but still the family is taking 
high entrepreneurial risk to, to create more customer value in the end. So everything in their thinking, and I see it from day to day, every day when, when Bernard Kroner Jr. and Senior or BK3 and 4 are we, or they are called internally, they always first think about customer value and then about risk. And if the risk is high or low or whatever, but, but if, they, they, if they believe in an idea and I see it every day, they, they do not have a problem with risk. Of course, they want to limit risk, however, but, but they wouldn't be there where they are uh, uh, if they wouldn't have taken risk and also high risks, I would say, in their family history. And when I met uh, Michael and Abdullah from a, from, a, from a content perspective, there is, there is, from my perspective, much more behind the, the idea of Abdullah from a technical element. So uh, Abdullah has a vision and I have a vision and that we share this as a focal point of the vision. But, but I have new ideas, other ideas. Abdullah has new ideas and also Michael and the teams. And we don't all know which ideas in the end will be successful. But the package of idea, to be honest limits the risk because, yes, there's a high risk probably on every single vision behind the core vision, but there will be successful visions in the end. And to be honest, it, it trust always, or I put trust in people, and people hopefully put trust in, in, in me. So it, it's, it's not trust on the idea or whatever. So it's trust that on the way we go together, we will focus on what we, on, on the core vision, but we are able to tell ourselves when we might get distracted from the way. And, and, and so it's all about people from my perspective. And people, uh, you met them the first time, you tr start creating trust and you start discussions and you create trust. And we have, uh, uh, I have done a, a couple of uh, deals in my past, uh, in my last 25 years of, of uh, professional experience. Uh, I've never been that fast on a way uh, to put money into a company and uh, we are quite fast on the way on, on trying whatever vision we've, we just focus on. But on these uh, already uh, coming close to two years relationship, we, we, uh, we, we never or I never uh, lost trust in the people I met. And uh, that's the most important thing. And there, if you trust people, risk is, uh, is, is not on the first level of discussion. Yes. That is actually now a brilliant lessons in leadership. And just let's say um, that's real life example, what, what you just mentioned, because I summarized that just because it's so amazing. It's like risk affinity. What, what also Michael mentioned before, that's something that is a given. You have to have it in you when you do business. doesn't matter if you're in a startup or in, let's say, an established company. Then the trust and trust in people, what you mentioned. And also like I put it as a slogan, let's say, how do you have great ideas. You have many ideas. And that is the package that you actually built with this corporation. Amazing. Thank you very much. And now, Abdullah, let's go in the technical direction, because that's what you do is actually basically very, very technical. So could you briefly and simply first explain the basics of the technical implementation of what you do at Trailer Dynamics? So how is it to, to, supposed to work in practice? How is it done? How does it work? Ludmilla, the easiest way to explain this is actually to use an e-bike as an example. With the e-bike, we have two essential system components, right? The cyclist on the one hand, on the other hand, well, the cyclist, we can compare him with a semi-tractor who is pulling, yeah? 
And on the other hand, we have the e-drive in the e-bike, which is equivalent to the electric drive in the trailer. I hope so far we are on the same page, right? I know that the comparison is a kind of lame for 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 the for the beginning, but we will come to the resolutions in, in very very soon. So first, we need to realize that trucks and trailers are always interchangeable, right? Just like cyclists can actually ride any bicycle, and 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 there is no kind of data connection between the cyclist and the bicycle, right? In the bicycle, we have also an electric drivetrain in the e-bike, right? Just like in our e-trailer. And both drivetrains get little, little feedback from the cyclist or the tractor. Actually, from the tractor, we get a little bit braking lights uh, and braking signals. But uh, obviously, the cyclist has also the, the con- full control over the brakes. So very, very similar. This means that both systems have to anticipate right, what the cyclist or the tractor will do because they basically got very little information from either, either systems, right? as I explained. To stay with the e-bike example, the e-bike rider doesn't want his e-bike to get off on traffic lights, push him when he doesn't want it to do, or to be pushed in, let's say, dangerous curves, right? To be overridden, yeah? Like the boring stuff like e-motors, inverters, batteries, and all the stuff we know from e-mobility sector, I'll leave aside for now and, and focus on the essential features of both systems. Yeah. On the one hand, there is a feedback sensor in the e-bike and in the trailer as well that can actually feel if, let's say, the tractor is pushing or pulling, that is very important. And on the other hand, we have a corresponding intelligent control system that behaves exactly accordingly to the expectations of the cyclist or the tractor unit. I left one essential question actually unanswered, and that is why we actually are doing this, right? As explained at the beginning, we want to decarbonize the road transportation. Unfortunately, however, heavy-duty vehicles require a particularly large amount of energy to overcome the drive resistance. If you wanted to run a 40-ton tractor-trailer combination 600 to 700 kilometers, purely on electric power, we need a battery of a capacity of 1 megawatt hours. That is approximately something between 8 and 9 tons in weight. On the other hand, the tractor unit cannot accommodate this battery because of the low density of uh, energy per volume. And it actually cannot carry this battery because they are way heavier than the diesel engine and the diesel tanks combined. So the problem is if we rely on stuffing all this uh, technology in the tractor, the tractor would, would actually not be able to carry any payload. This means that we have to make sure you know, that on the one hand, the e-trail is compatible with any tractor, regardless of any manufacturer, on the other hand. And, and we see that the accommodation of the batteries in the trailer is the best way, actually, to put this electric energy on the road. That is actually very, very helpful descriptions when you compare that with the e-bikes. And now, based on that quite um, understandable, let's say, explanation, how does it work technically? So now let's go deeper in this uh, direction. And Michael, very often with um, this kind of technical innovations, you have to clear up, let's say, some outdated beliefs or prejudices. Do you also have here some prejudices that you have to clear out of the way the most, let's say? Very good question, Ludmilla. This happens all the time. So far, the trailer, as Stefan described, was just a simple load carrier. And nobody thought about propelled or powered trailers. The prejudice was the truck in front was the towing unit. Full stop. 
But now we in Trailer Dynamics transformed through innovation the simple load carrier into an electric trailer system, which is, of course, still a load carrier, but is now equipped with an intelligent propulsion concept. Being part of the digital logistic process, supporting power grid stability, providing diesel consumption and consequently CO2 reduction. And last but not least, but most importantly for our customers, providing a positive TCO compared to the standard trailer. People do get these advantages of the e-trailer quite quickly. And prejudice does change into fascination. That is very good. Fascination and let's say inspiration is always something that, that pulls people to that vision as well. Maybe it also goes in the direction of having prejudices, but uh, Stefan, you thought at the beginning that you would feel a jolt when driving due to the technology used. Ne? So what was it actually like when you were allowed for the first time to have your test drive together with Abdullah? Please tell us about this experience. How was it? It was above everything I had expected. Uh, it was amazing, to be honest. You know, I'm not a technical guy, uh, but I, I also t again take the example of the of the e-bike. So, so uh, my wife and I we decided not to have a second car. We we have a we have an, a cargo bike, uh, but for our daughter. So, so she's she's sitting up front, and I'm always curious about technology. And and in, in this e-bike, there is a a torque sensor, I think uh, you call it. So, so of course there is a kind of um, Time difference, so so latency time in the end, from the when you when you use a pedal and uh, until the, the the electric motor starts. So and I always thought, okay, there is a latency time on e-bike. How long will it be when you sit in a in a in a I don't know how many ton a truck trailer combination? And I thought, oh, it would be very bumpy. Uh, it starts breaking and so on. But it wasn't. And, and Abdullah explained it to me um, on, a, on a low technical level and I understood. And, uh, and at that moment, we, we just talked about risk. My risk value, my, my felt risk value, again, jumped down uh, uh, to, to a minimum because it, the feeling was just amazing. And you can talk about the idea a lot, but we have to get people into the solution to, to feel what, what is the difference because many of the concerns people have, you can just solve by let them feel. And uh, yes, core vision is to create more sustainable logistics solutions. But if, if you drive something, you just want to feel driving. So a truck driver also uh, is, is driving a truck because he likes it, or many of them like, them, like it. Put them into a truck trailer combination of uh, a trailer dynamics and Krone, and they will feel the difference. And then it's even much more about sustainability than it's about, yes, that's a great idea also from non-sustainability discussions because it's just amazing. It's really possible to feel that, uh, how much fun you had that. And actually, let me follow up on that. Uh, what, what kind of explanation, Abdullah, did you give, let's say, on the low technical level? How did you explain why there is no jolt to be feel? In German, we, we, we call it a Feenstaub. Yeah, we we have some magic behind all this uh, technology, but 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 just to be honest, uh, you know the the drivetrain of an e-bike is way more complicated because you have this lot of oscillations in in your pedaling, and and fortunately for us, uh, uh, the, the truck and trailer are behaving more predictable. So it sounds a little bit crazy but it is it is quite easier uh, to handle an an e-trailer than an e-bike but 
On the other hand, we have also very, very different challenges. You know, these heavy vehicles are very, very dangerous. They could actually potentially kill people if they get out of control. So we have to take a lot of, let's say, misuse scenarios into, into account that are not really necessary or very important in e-bikes. Absolutely. Yes. Safety first. No? So you mentioned actually already several times decarbonization of transportation and so on. So now let's make it concrete. Can you give us an example of how much CO2 can actually be saved by using new technology? <laughs> that, is, that is funny because every, every day people are asking the same question. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, but, but that is actually the, the most important question that we have to answer. And, and yes, we, we need to get an idea of how much, let's say, such a truck-trailer combination emits per year. And, and we can do the calculations actually together, you know, approximately 32 liters per 100 kilometer, right? And the trucks drive 120 to 150,000 kilometers per year. If we just think, okay, one liter of diesel uh, is, is equal to 2.68 kilograms of CO2, we come uh, very close to uh, 100 tons of CO2 emissions and more per year. And, and I think we can um, safely say that our reduction potentials are somewhere between 20 to 60 tons. And you might ask, okay, why, why this big bandwidth? And, and that is actually because it depends very much on the sources from which you charge your e-trailer, right? Uh, if we are going for, let's say, fully renewable energies, we will be at the higher uh, level of, of savings. And if we are actually using the German power, power mix, mix yeah, electric power mix, I think we, we will get, come somewhere in, in the mid-range. But coming back to our vision, yeah, we, we talked about, that our vision is actually in the long term that we want uh, our e-trailers to be combined with electric tractor units and run completely emission-free in the future. And that is our main goal. That is actually a huge potential there. Absolutely. Yeah. And now let's let's go deeper in that because uh, as we said, so okay, your technology can be used today already to help decarbonize, whatever we mean by saying today. Nah? But your plan is not just to exist as a company as long as there are still combustion engines on the road and so on. So, Michael, what will happen afterwards? What is planned then? Ludmilla, a very important issue, and thank you for that question. Dynamics e-trailer technology is today designed to support the drive of the entire semi-trailer system. Today, and in the first use case, our e-trailer will support trucks with diesel combustion engines to reduce diesel consumption. And by the way, these kind of engines will be on our roads for the next 30 to 40 years. I just learned from one of the largest truck OEMs that they will stop selling diesel trucks in 2039. So for another 10 years, they will be on the roads because of the existing fleet. So you are up in the, in the 2050s. But in the second use case, and we do already work on that technology, which, we'll call, which we call range extender technology, we will also support battery electric trucks in order to increase the range of these vehicles to open up long-haul routes, also for fully electric heavy-duty vehicles. Also, a hydrogen propulsion concept is absolutely possible for our trailer technology because you would still need a battery you still need a driving e-axle. Hydrogen is just a different energy source. As a conclusion, 
the e-trailer technology of trailer dynamics is under no circumstances a bridge technology. It will create a new propulsion CO2-reducing concept for the entire semi-trailer tractor system. So you are not here just for the transition phase, you are here to stay. So now, Stefan, let's, let's go a little bit away from that. We had our preliminary meeting and it already came across quite clearly in this meeting that you have a very visionary view of the future for transportation, for mobility. And technologies and innovation that come from startups can play a key role in this. I absolutely believe in that. So, But when established large companies or even giants work with small, agile startups, it takes a lot of, now let's call it tact, Uh, to give the startup the necessary stability, but also not to crush it. So what are the top factors that you think are important in this process? Let's use one word you, you just mentioned also in your question, agile. Uh, today, I have a feeling that only startups are agile. And uh, I, I do think that's true, to be honest, because I, I meet startups which are not agile. Um, they just... Say to be agile because they are startups. So I do think that Krone, even if it's a big company, it's agile. Uh, I think agility is is uh, um, is is a core element of corporate culture, and you either either have it or have it not. But also big, large companies can have agility, and startups do not always have agility in the end. So I I do think we met in a kind of agile environment to be honest. And if you have an agile environment, in the last 18 months, I would say we never or I never gave a tact also not to not to the Krone team, neither to the to the to the Trailer Dynamics team. And I, I see do think we, they found their own tact. I think that it's from a management perspective, very important. And, and now I take the role of the manager of the larger company, I would say, Again, Krone, I think Krone is a large but still agile company. And then if you think about new visions, uh, my task is to create an, a discussion environment where everybody who is in the process has the time and ability to express his concerns. Because if you work in, an, in, a, in a more mechanical company like Krone Commercial Vehicle is, There are a lot of concerns, but that's always, I mean, that's, that's how, how, how they are, I would say, educated. Um, concern is more in the middle. And so I, I have to create internally a discussion environment where everybody has the time to express his concerns. So for questions, what happens if this is a problem? What happens if this is a problem? And what happens is if, if this is a problem? And at the same time, I have to to have the opportunity by myself to answer these questions and always say, okay, I take your concern, but what happens if we solve the problem you just mentioned? So if we take a lot of problems and just imagine not only that we would not be able to solve it, but what happens if we would solve them? How would the future then look like? So if you if you give people the, the time and, and the openness in your discussion culture to express their concerns and use also this culture to express that there might be solutions. You, you, you uh, put people in a position that they are able and willing to start walking. And once you start walking, and, and the key problem on agility is that there are a lot of companies, large and small ones, who not, never stop walking. So you have to start walking. And when you walk, you see you will find solutions for certain problems and you will not find 
direct solutions for other problems, and then you have to go to other ways. But we have to convince people to start walking. And that's, I think, the key on agility, but it's, it's valid for large, but also for small companies. I have now actually a picture in my mind from uh, the last week when we did a huge panel on um, autonomous driving in ADAS. And there was said, like, you are standing at a mountain and it's foggy, but you see the other uh, top of the mountain and you know that you have to get there. But how do you start and how do you trust the way? How do you find the way at least? No? You just start walking. That is actually a huge and very, very well-explained picture for me, let's say, how, how to do that. And as you said, like... Agiles, this kind of startup mindset, it's not about the size of the company, right? It's just like more about the culture and let's say like, how do you trust each other? How do you talk with each other and so on? So a lot of lessons learned from your, let's say from, from the leadership, from the development uh, style and so on. So amazing, really. I have to take so much from that uh, podcast now. Now let's continue with the lessons learned. So Abdullah, what are your top three lessons learned when it comes to finding suitable established cooperation partners? What did you learn? Yeah, that is a good question. So in, in, in the first place, or, or three questions, right? No, three lessons. <laughs> so Top three lessons. So I, I think you have to be patient, as already Michael explained when, when he explained what we have gone through in the past. And I think one second part is that... If you are going with new partners, they will have will come up with a lot of questions. So I think you have to be very critical with your own business plan. You have to to be very conservative, to be very honest to yourself. And often a strategic partner is a with great experience is a better match than let's say a VC company or, or, or a poor money investor. So I actually somehow noticed too. So be patient and be critical with your own business plan. So let's say ask question if you are also doing like the right thing. What was the third one? The third one is actually choosing the right partners. Be very careful in choosing the right partners, the partners who actually can support you in the long run. Because it is, I, I, I try to explain it to my children. You know, when the COVID crisis came, it was not an issue of having money to buy something, there wasn't anything that you can buy, right? And I think the, the message is money is not anything. You have to have people with visions, uh, capabilities, so on and so forth. Mostly maybe like uh, shared values as well. No? So that is what, what how I define, let's say, suitable cooperation partners. No? So and now, Michael, the same question for you. So where did you learn the most about what is important for a successful business partnership? Ludmilla, through my entire career, I worked with organizations like family owners, public, publicly listed owner structures, or private equity owners. Although these partnership structures were very different, the individuals behind the structure who are leading the organization do determine the quality and success of the partnership. Trust, management skills, very important. Open professional communication, delivering what is promised and respect are keywords for such a, such a successful partnership. With Stefan and the Krone Group, we have found a partner with whom we all live these important characteristics day by day. So basically, when I, when, when I listen to you, it's like all the technical implementation and all the technological benefits and so on, that is just a very tiny fraction. So it's a lot about human factor. It's a lot about trust. It's a lot about open communication and so on. It's really, really mind-blowing, actually, in that way. No? So it's... 
it's less about the technology. I would not really agree that the technology factor is a tiny one. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a core as well, right? So it has to be right. It has to be right. But that is not the deciding factor. High qualitative product, but you need the people around it, the partnership around it, who can manage the product and bring it to the market. Yes, absolutely agree on that. Yeah. And now, Stefan, of course, I don't want to ruin the excitement at this point, but only as much as you can reveal from that. What can we look forward to from Krone and Trailer Dynamics at the IA Mobility 2022? As much as you can share. I can share two things, to be honest. First of all, I hope that we will make a clear point that uh, together with, with Trailer Dynamics, a clear point at the uh, ERR that the road to a zero emission transport logistic is not only driven by the truck. It's about truck and trailer combination. And, um, and that's a key point I still, the whole business community has to understand and our customers have to be aware. And I do think that we find different ways to express it because yes, first of all, of course we want to make business and we want to be a little bit more successful than our competitors. But in the end, uh, Krone has a certain market share and the rest of the market is bigger than the Krone market share. So we have to convince the whole business that there is a necessary road to zero emission transport and that the trailer also has a clear role in it, which is bigger than most of the players in the market probably today um, are expecting. That's the first thing I hope we make a point in. And the second point, which is again very important for me, is uh, we at Krone believe that if we take the, 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 the trailer as a focal point of, of a framework also, Michael mentioned the, the word framework, if we see the, the, the trailer as a framework where, uh, where solutions can be uh, adapted and linked to, uh, I do expect that we get the clear proof that partnership of agile companies is not about being big, or small or startup or established companies. So what I hope is that we prove that Trailer Dynamics and Krone are at eye level on the ERR. That's very important for me. So this is not a Krone trailer we show yet. It's a Krone trailer, but it was a Trailer Dynamics solution in it. And that's what, what we want to show, that uh, there is a clear at eye level partnership. And that's what I expect we show also at the, at the trade fair. You know what, I have really to say that, but it's a pleasure to see this collaboration, to see you all sitting at one table and be already now in this discussion at eye level. That is amazing. It's it's a brilliant pleasure, really. Will you be will you be there? I have to put it today in my calendar. I will be there. We will meet there. I promise. Okay. <laughs> IA Mobility 2022. I will put it today in my calendar. Promised. And yeah, I will visit you both. Absolutely. Abdullah. As the saying goes, you're always smarter in retrospect. So what would you recommend now to a founder who is in the darkest time of his startup right now? What would you say? Run away. No, uh, to be honest, <laughs> actually doing it exactly like we, we, we have done it, right? Believe in your own ideas, always question it critically, show stamina. I can tell you an anecdote at the beginning of our company. The OEMs, most of, most of them, yeah, kicked us actually out of the door. A certain OEM told us, you know what, guy, we are diesel guys. Yeah, We are building diesel engines. Put them in ships, trucks, machinery. Leave us alone with your electric crap. 
Today, this OEM is one of our most loyal partners. Times are changing, startups are usually ahead of time or ahead of their time, let's say it that way, and the world needs a little, more, a little bit more time to change and keep up. And, and, and that is actually the message. Yeah? You have to be very patient and have a lot of stamina. And actually what you said also before, like question what you do. No? So be critical with yourself, but also like believe if it, that's the vision, go for it. Very, very strong. And Michael, how much is it actually intuition and how much is it logical thinking based on numbers and data when you are a startup in a crisis? So how do you make this decision to jump off or to continue? It's a first remark. As an entrepreneur, in my opinion, intuition is nothing else than experience. The source of intuition is experience. And for example, the famous gut feeling is also nothing more than experience. And experience is a question of time. You can't learn experience or intuition. You have to experience it over many years in order to learn to listen to your intuition as a manager. However, every management decision finally ends up in numbers. And numbers tell you whether your intuition, whether your intuitive decision was the right one. This is also true for startups, especially in a crisis situation. Your gut feeling, your experience, and your intuition helps you to manage the crisis situation. And numbers provide the basis for the decisions required. So actually failing is then for you just a part of success, let's say. As I said earlier on, you, you, you have to manage the risk. And risk as a, as, a, as a professional manager is not a hidden thing. You know your risk factors. You know them, you discuss them, you evaluate them, you, you judge them, and you have to manage them. So risk is a normal part of your entrepreneurial life. It's, it's nothing which, which accidentally attacks you. It's really something which you have to discuss, which you have to clearly see with open eyes, discuss it and manage it. And then for every risk, there's a solution. So like uh, welcome your fears and risk uh, also at your table in the meeting and let them sit there, let them have a space, let's say, and yeah, still do it anyway. <laughs> yeah. And now when we are talking about hard times and challenges, Uh, Stefan, I have also one similar question to you. So have you ever had a serious challenge professionally that also shaped you as a person, as a personality? So if so, what did you learn from it? Serious challenge professionally, to be honest, I would answer the question as a no. But, but if I take the, the words somehow different, uh, I would say yes. So I, I had one serious challenge in my professional work life. Yes. Uh, I was working long hours. It was around the financial crisis time and uh, everybody had to do his best. And uh, I had a very, very uh, great boss at that time. And uh, we were arguing a lot at a certain, on a certain problem in a, in, a, in a group of four or five people. In the middle of the, 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 the peak of the discussion, uh, he had a heart attack. A heart attack. So in the middle of, of, of a crisis, uh, a professional crisis, there was a situation from, from one second to the other where the most important thing was to immediately uh, enter into life-supporting measures, uh, which, which brings you to a point where your life stops at that moment uh, because I, I like the man. So, so it, wasn't, um, it wasn't a serious professional topic which shaped me, but that, that serious moment... And I had a, a, a similar moment also with the birth of my daughter. 
never forget what it's all about. Uh, the only chance you have is uh, to select the people on the long term you want to work with. And uh, uh, never, never, even in the biggest crisis, never forget about respect on people. Uh, that's what I want to give, have from, from, from people I work with. And, and never forget it. And, and, and even in these strange times we are all in, uh, where, where life is changing in the last two years by 180 degrees, uh, um, and I personally never expected it to be like this, and never forget, uh, I love my profession. I, I love to work, but I love to work with people. And uh, so never forget that you should start a meeting with a smile. You should ask people uh, how they feel because you wanted to know. Not because you learned it, that you have to ask it, because you just wanted to know. And it should always be in the middle of every communication somewhere, even if you have a fight or whatever. Um, we should come probably back to relationships where in every situation we are able to drink a beer afterwards or even, even not at the same day, probably two days later when emotions calm down a little bit. But yes, there was a serious challenge in my professional career, but it was not professional. It was about people. And it made me rethink also my own approach, you know, being, I would say, in the beginning of your 30s. So you, you can win every war. The world is open for you and you can do everything. And, and it brings you back to the bottom that it's about people and life can be different from one second to the other and even over. It may sound pathetic, but again, it's uh, that what shaped me. Uh, and this guy is still alive, and um, I love him. And um, I'm very happy that uh, also this serious situation happened to me because again, this shaped me as a person, and uh, I take my strengths out of out of situations like this. First of all, I'm very happy that uh, it had a positive outcome, and also like what what you say, the the challenges, the bad things that happened to you. They mostly help you to balance out what is actually important, right? So it it is a lot in, in the lessons we learn from from really bad times and challenging times. So, but um, I would like to end this um, podcast on a very positive note, as I usually do. So, finally, a question to all of you. So, what is your guiding principle through life at the moment? What inspires you? What makes you feel more optimistic and empowered about the future? And maybe we all need this currently more than ever. From my perspective, I think what are the guiding principles at the moment? Always be honest, uh, honest to yourself, to your partners, uh, even if, if it takes longer. Yeah? I think the, the, the honesty is always the best path, right? Well, yeah, what, what inspires me? It is a lot. Yeah, my children, my wife, my family, my friends, my environment, my partners, but perhaps even more important, What moves me? I, I'm, I'm moved by the problems of the future, which cannot be denied. And I think we, we, we have to come up with solutions, not always be, let's say, uh, demand solutions from, from, from others. We, we have to do something. That is actually our job as, as scientists and engineers, right? And, and I think that the last question is, is the most important one. What, what makes me really... Uh, empowered and, and optimistic and I think I think I'm very optimistic because on on this long journey I'm not really feeling feeling uh, to be alone anymore I, I have found a lot of partners friends people many people who are now working with me and on the same solutions right which makes me very confident and gives me gives me real hope for the future because we are coming up with solutions thank you very much for sharing Now, Michael? 
a split answer to this question, which normally requires a glass of wine, hours of interesting and exciting discussions, because it's really a broad question. But let me concentrate on optimist, optimism and empowerment. From a business point of view, it's crystal clear for me that successful development of trail dynamics with a target to provide a significant contribution to the decarbonization of this planet is the most important one. To be part of such a development and contribution is a clear and high motivation for me and guides me. But from a private point of view, my wife and my five children are the center of my life. They give the foundation for the strength you need in business. Therefore, let's be careful with this private power-giving resource and never forget about their importance. But back to your question. I'm very optimistic about the future of Trail Dynamics. The management team with Abdullah and Jochen and the partnership with Corinne and Stefan provides the empowerment for this positive thinking about our future. Amazing, yeah. Here's to an amazing future for Trailer Dynamics and Krone. Yeah. Thank you very much for sharing. And now, Stefan? What inspires me is uh, my father. So he got the notice two years ago that he has an unrecoverable cancer. And on a long walk, he said to me, and he's in his early 70s, uh, he said to me, Stefan, don't worry. I have a, I had a, or I have a great life, great children, great wife. Never forget, it's the only thing we have. And I, let's come back to a question earlier when we talk about um, empowerment. If we think about the future, we all still and probably a little bit more in these times have to be aware that the future is created by us. Everybody who is able to start walking should walk. So create the future you want to have. If we, if we take a look in, in the Ukraine or wherever, there are people who start walking and everybody who has the power and, and if I take a look around, uh, Abdullah, Michael, we all have, for God's sake, the power to start walking. There are people in our society who don't have the power and, and I'm not blaming them. Let's be aware that there are situations where people don't have the power to walk, but the ones who have the power to walk start walking. We create the future. Let not the future create me. That's at least not my, my view um, on life. Let's start walking. Every single solution we create, either in our professional career, but also in our, our day-to-day life, let's be aware that we are the future and let's start walking. Even if we, we make mistakes by walking, however, if we, we have the opportunity to find solutions, start walking, start to create the future. Thank you very much. There are a lot of lessons learned on the personal level, on the professional level from what you said, let's say. And I absolutely share that vision that we are not the passive creatures, let's say, that <laughs> the future is created with us. No, sorry. If you want something, go for it, change it. And it always takes always sometimes even just one person, sometimes a few of like-minded persons to start something. And it's amazing. Thank you very much for this amazing atmosphere of trust, of sharing knowledge in this podcast. That was just outstanding. Thank you very much for having you as amazing guests in this podcast. Thank you very, very much. No, we thank you. We thank you, Ludmilla. Thank you very much for being here. Bye-bye, Ludmilla. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. And we see each other on the trade fair. Yes, absolutely. We see each other there. <laughs> there are many ways to achieve a more sustainable future. There are many companies and innovative leaders who choose and actively go very different ways. Let's just not forget one thing. No matter how different the ways are, the big goal is one and the same. See you very soon in the next episode. <music>